Okay, so now I'll move into the next part of the presentation. And this stems, I gave this the title for this section, Exploring the Deeper Matrix. And here I'm particularly concerned with a question or a problem. Like, we know that like 97% of climate scientists have agreed on the reality of climate change. They've pointed out how through continuing to consume fossil fuels, we're destroying our own planet. And it's not only climate change, but in so many domains of life, we are engaging in activities that are spilling, emitting vast amounts of toxic substances into the environment, over-extracting and exploiting the natural resources. And when we know that this is going to be so damaging to us and to future generations, why are we doing this? We're like, metaphorically, like a person who's smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, who knows that scientists say that smoking will lead to heart disease, lung cancer, but we go on smoking and smoking and smoking. Why are we doing this? And to address this question, I was facing this question over the years, then I started to look at different domains of human life. And I made up a table or a chart, which I call domains of value. I presented this over the One Earth Sangha. They had this program in the, I think it was in the fall. And I presented this, so maybe if some of you were watching that or participating, you've already seen it. But it doesn't help to go hurt to go through it again. Okay, we could start from here. Okay, so what I did when I was reflecting on this question, this problem, is to consider that what are the things that are truly valuable that give meaning to human existence? And when I reflected on this question, I found that in my thinking that four, what I call four domains of value. So I call these the domains. And so we start you know, at the foundation with the ecological sphere, the sphere of nature. Then we have the social sphere. So the ecological sphere, a natural sphere, I call the ground of all life and sentient existence on Earth. And this comprises two subsidiary systems. One is the geosphere, which is inanimate matter, and then the biosphere, the totality of all life forms on Earth in, in the dimension of their biological existence. But then for fuller meaning in human life, we advance to the social sphere, and this includes all of the systems that arise from human relationships, extending from person-to-person -person contacts to social systems, to um, e economy, political systems, everything in which human beings collaborate on projects to achieve common purposes. And so the ecological sphere and natural sphere, I say its value, I call fundamental value, that this is indispensable for life to flourish on earth. It's the source of food, air, water, energy, raw materials, and so on, medicines, clothes. And also it has intrinsic value, but also instrumental value in that it serves human purposes at higher levels. 
the social sphere, we have what I call human social value, which provides or should provide protection for people and the conditions through which, through pursuing our collective, personal and collective aims, we could find deeper fulfillment. Then, sort of building on that, I have what I call the symbolic and cultural sphere. And these are the symbolic systems that facilitate human participation in the other spheres, but also it's a sphere which has its own creativity. So that leads into its kind of value is aesthetic value. It has both instrumental and symbolic value, but also an intrinsic aesthetic value. I think maybe I have to correct that. It's just not only to enable people to relate to the other three spheres, but this would include artistic creation, music, arts, literature, through which we can enrich the higher dimensions of our life and gain a particular kind of enjoyment that's not possible just through biological existence and social existence. Okay, and then I have what I call the ultimate sphere, and this is the sphere of ultimate truth, goodness, and beauty, what should be the domain of highest vision and aspiration. And its value is that it brings the deepest fulfillment, the attainment of the true aim of human existence. So this is the sphere that should be ideally expressed by the different religion, religions and spiritual systems of humanity when they are being true to their underlying, what should be their underlying aim. So for Buddhists, it would be the attainment of enlightenment or nibbana. For Hindus, the attainment of moksha. For Christian, Christians, communion with God. Other religions will formulate their aim in different ways. But this is something which is not simply reducible to the other three spheres, but gives a sense that human existence is grounded in some kind of ultimate transcendent principle that we can realize through the appropriate means. But what has happened, this is sort of the tragedy that we face, the tragedy of human existence, is that each of these spheres has undergone, probably this has occurred throughout history, but it's become accelerated and intensified in the late 20th century, early 21st century. All of these domains of value have been subjected to what I call the inversion of value. This is something like the Buddha's concept of vipalasa, where you see the impermanent as permanent, the what's dukkha as pleasure, what's non-self as self. Those are inversions of perception. These are inversions of value, where values are turned upside down. And so we have in the natural sphere or ecological sphere that nature becomes commodified so it's reduced to natural resources. Just its whole value consists in what we can extract from the earth, from the atmosphere, from the waters, what we can extract and sell in order to generate monetary profits. And so this leads to kind of desecration of the natural world and desecration Literally, it means desacralization, sort of failing to see the intrinsic sacredness of the natural world and just reducing it to material substances that can be turned into commodities to be sold in the marketplace. 
And one particularly striking and painful aspect of this commodification of nature is the brutalized treatment of animals. The way animals are treated just as particularly the domestic animals, sources for growing, cultivating livestock until they grow up to be adult size, then killing them brutally to sell for food on the marketplace without any a reverence for the intrinsic, what I call the intrinsic value of the animal in itself. Okay, and then in the social sphere, this inversion of value extends to people, whereby people become commodified, so they're reduced to laborers, or even say workers who just work at jobs, and in many parts of the world under very, very trying conditions, very dehumanizing conditions, working in factories 12, 14 hours a day with no regulations, no provisions for their welfare, but just treating people as means for turning out products to be sold on the market. And then once those products are turned out, then we are treated as consumers who are there primarily just to purchase the products. And then people are led in order to buy the goods that they want, then they often have to take out debts. And so they become treated as debtors and forced into a kind of debt slavery. And this is particularly conspicuous today in regard to college university students who are just driven into these lifetime debts. I think that there's more than a trillion dollars in student debt in this country. And it's one of the most Um, inescapable forms of debt that will follow a student through their whole life. Okay, so this leads to a drive in the neoliberal economy to the privatization of public goods and the corporate domination of politics and policies. And this is perhaps one of the biggest obstacles that we face to resolving the climate crisis, that the corporations, the fossil fuel corporations, play such a major role in determining governmental policies you know, through their campaign contributions, through their lobbyists, through the politicians that they support who then become obligated to fulfill the wishes of the fossil fuel corporations. So now just this past week, the Department of the Interior in the Trump administration declared it's opening up like one billion acres of coastal land, land off the coast to offshore drilling in the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, the Arctic, the very precious Arctic. Just one area has been accepted from that, excluded. That's the state of Florida because the governor of the state of Florida spoke to the president and said, I don't want... My, my supporters to see offshore drilling off the coast of Florida. So the president said, okay, we'll exclude Florida. Okay, but we have the corporations you know, virtually sponsoring politicians, and this leads to a kind of deadlock where the politicians continually prevent the implementation of the kind of regulations and changes in policy, economic changes that we need to preserve the natural world and to protect human life. 
Okay, then we come to the symbolic sphere and some of the ways in which this inversion of value occurs in this sphere. One is through the private bank control of money systems, so that it's actually the Federal Reserve that issues money and banks that issue money, and it's in private hands and they control it for their own interests to increase the wealth of the bankers, the bank executives. And then we have, and this is another part of the system of domination and control, the corporate control of the media. And we see increasing consolidation of the media under the control of these mammoth media corporations. And since they often work in concert with other major corporate interests, um, so they prevent people from getting access to the kind of information they need in order to understand what is happening in our society, in the economy, in order to be able to understand what's happening and thereby to take the action, the appropriate action that could bring about the necessary transformations to improve the conditions of human life. And also this... um, Inversion of value in the symbolic or cultural sphere leads to the celebrity culture, the rise of celebrity culture, the sort of control of pop music and the development of or the promotion of pop music stars who last for a few years and then they fall away. <laughs> I remember in a talk I gave you a few years ago, I said, some pop music stars such as Madonna... people out there looked at me like, where is this guy coming from? (laughs) Hasn't he ever heard of Taylor Swift? (laughs) Or what's Rihanna, Beyonce? So those are the famous pop stars. And then the cult of, oh, it should be movie and sports stars. Okay, so this is the way we have this inversion of value in the symbolic sphere. And then even what I call the ultimate sphere, the sphere of spiritual pursuits and realization, also gets subjected to this inversion of value. So we have phenomena like amongst the followers of the Eastern religion, we have this thing called spiritual materialism, but in a somewhat different way from Chögyang Trungpa, the Tibetan master had coined that expression to mean undertaking a spiritual practice to build up and enhance the ego. But here I'm using spiritual materialism in a more literal sense as packaging spirituality and sort of selling it on the marketplace, again with the aim of you know, profit-making in mind. And then programs offering instant enlightenment. I don't know how popular they are today, but I remember in the 19... When I became involved in Buddhism, going back in the early 1970s, there were the weekend programs where you're promised enlightenment at the end of the weekend. And if you don't get enlightenment, maybe you offered your money back. But since everybody else is declaring that they gained enlightenment, if you didn't get it, you're sort of embarrassed to admit, I didn't get it. So you say, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. 
Okay, so this is so amongst the followers of the Eastern religions, but uh, even in mainstream Christianity, there's this new, what they call the theology of wealth, which has become very, very dominant, where you have these mega churches, multi-million dollar mega churches, and preachers who are always urging their congregation to contribute more and more in order to be able to gain passage into the kingdom of heaven. And so you have these multi-million dollar churches with, filled with all of the latest technology and gadgetry. And the preachers, the ministers are multi-millionaires. And so this is quite... The, and they urge people, they say that to show that you have gained the favor of God, you have to work hard and earn as much money as you can because it's those who are the rich who are favored by God. And so this is quite different from the preaching of Jesus. And so this is my table, Domains of Value. Then I try to illustrate this with pyramids. So first I have a pyramid that I call the actualization of value. So here we have at the base of the pyramid fundamental value. So that's the use of the natural environment for, for the function of the natural environment in supporting biological survival and providing the materials needed for our material security. Then we have the domain of human value or social value, which brings social collaboration and shared projects and emotional fulfillment through our collaboration with other human beings to pursue and to achieve common purposes. And then through cultural value, then we're able to reach aesthetic and intellectual fulfillment through, again, through the arts, music, painting, literature, the sciences, the abstract, the pure sciences, And then at the top, the ultimate value through spiritual fulfillment, through adopting a spiritual path, a spiritual discipline, leading to inner cultivation and realization of the transcendent, the divine, the ultimate reality. Okay, but what has happened in our culture, in our time, really all around the world, but maybe most prominent in the USA, is that something that belongs to the sphere of perhaps bridges symbolic value and social value, which is the use of money as an instrument of exchange, sort of breaks out and becomes a good in itself. Rather than an instrumental good, it becomes an intrinsic good, something which is cherished and valued for itself, and so we have here several levels of abstraction. But first, let me show you the table. Okay, so with the inversion of value, monetary value, which properly, it has its place somewhere within the social and symbolic spheres, but it breaks off, becomes a good in itself, and then it dominates all of the other domains of value. So it turns the whole pyramid of value upside down. 
So what should be playing a subordinate supporting role now takes the top position and then it invades and colonizes the other domains of value and subordinates them to the goal of continually generating more and more sequences of money creation. And I think it's this particular pattern which has come, it's like a virus that has infected the human mind or even the social philosopher John McMurty calls this a cancer that has invaded human society. Because a cancer is like a cell which keeps on multiplying in the body but without contributing anything to the health of the body. In fact, it saps the resources of all the rest of the bodily cells just to go on multiplying. And so the financial monetary sector sort of becomes parasitic upon all of the other domains and saps their potential values in order to generate more and more monetary wealth. And so what's happened here, the way I see it, is several levels of abstraction. First, the economy is correctly seen. It's embedded within the social order, within society. And society, the social order, is embedded within the natural order. But in the way of thinking, in, say, the dominant elite, the people who are now controlling our social and economic system, society becomes abstracted from its natural natural setting, the natural environment. The economy becomes abstracted from its roots within society. And then the financial capacity of the economy becomes abstracted from its proper function within a healthy economy. And it becomes the goal in itself. So in this way of thinking, anything that happens to the rest of the economy, to the society, the people living in society, to the natural environment is of subordinate importance, of secondary importance, even dispensable, disposable, as long as we can maintain a system that's going to generate more and more financial wealth, which will be channeled into the hands, the accounts of a small and powerful financial and corporate elite. And so this is a kind of, as I said, a kind of cancer which is parasitic upon all of these other domains of value. And this is why we're able to reduce the natural environment into a kind of collective of natural resources and just exploit all of these resources without concern for its impact upon nature itself, without concern for its impact on the rest of society, without concern for future generations. Okay, so this is my presentation on the domains of value and then how to construct a healthy functioning economy. That I will come to I mean, not that I'm an economist <laughs> or have any 
influence in the sphere of economy, but I'm drawing upon the teach I'll be drawing upon a kind of model which was developed by an upcoming young female economist in Great Britain. But I think we have a little break here, like a ten minute break. Okay, okay so you could if you want to do some little exercises <laughs> or you could go to the restroom in this period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.